We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. everybody welcome back it is friday that means it's the friday free for all it's our notre dame mailbag day that means today you all get to decide the topics that we are going to discuss today that is ryan roberts our director of recruiting draft expert and all-around good guy i'm your publisher brian driscoll not so much uh so we're going to dive into our questions today ryan and i were kind of going through this we got a little distracted we started late not because we were purposely being late like we normally are. We went a little longer because we were reading through all the good questions. Like, that's a good question. That's a good question. Like, oh, we might want to start the show now. So now we are going to start the show. And, Ryan, we what else better way to start a show on a Friday than to talk about quarterbacks, right? And so we're going to talk about with negative KD. says, Brian, Buck, Tyler Buckner seems to have a bit of a low release point as the resident QB guru. If you're his coach, would you be concerned with that? Negative KD, by the way. I have a my my theory on quarterback mechanics has always been this. I will mess with a quarterback's footwork until he gets it right. That is my philosophy. I will mess with a quarterback's core use if he's not using it or whatever until he gets it right. I'm not messing with a kid's throwing mechanics other than just trying to enhance the the his release point because some quarterbacks no matter what their throwing motion is their release point can get out of whack. And that's just a timing thing. And maybe you can have them grip the ball differently to help improve the release point. The only, That's really the only upper body thing I may work with is maybe altering how he grips the ball because it will enhance his throwing motion. Otherwise, I don't care about a quarterback's throwing motion. I care about his results. And the, and the results are what, Ryan? Can you get the ball out quickly? Can you get the ball out accurately? And, accurately, and can you get the ball? can you get enough velocity in the ball to get the job done? Those are the three things I care about. And whether you're, you know, Drew Brees with a perfect over-the-top motion, whether you're Philip Rivers who throws it sidearm and everything in between, can you throw it accurately? Can you throw it quickly? And can you throw it enough velo- with enough enough velocity to get the get it to where it needs to get to? It's all I care about. And the only time that it would be an issue to have a low release is if you're throwing quick game. But the reality is when you're throwing quick game, if you're a 6'4 quarterback and the other team has a bunch of Keon Keeleys and Jason Moores and Brandon Vernons and Bubakars on the other side, they're still taller than you, right? And so they can get their hands up. You're throwing through throwing lanes anyway. You're looking for space to throw the ball to. It doesn't affect you at all on, on more downfield stuff. Uh, any quarterback that's going to try to throw through a defensive end who's 6'4 is going to get their ball batted down. That's just the reality of it. So I don't really care, to be honest with you, uh, about the throwing motion as long as it gets the job done. And and that's what I didn't like. Now, Notre Dame has been tinkering with his mechanics, but the tinkering they're doing is getting him back to his comfort zone after he had changed him as a senior in high school. So that's been what Coach Reese has been working with over the last year is getting him back to his comfort zone. He doesn't – I mean, if Tommy Reese was – trying to get Tyler Buckner to throw the way he wanted to throw, it would look nothing like it does now. He's not messing with it. It's let's clean it up and get him back to his comfort zone, Ryan. And that's just, that's just one of those things where I I know it's a, always a talking point. Oh, what's his release look like? What's his release look like? I just don't care. And I have 30 years of watching quarterbacks playing with all types of different throwing motions to realize it doesn't matter. 
it, the, the end result is all that matters, not how you get there. Yeah. I mean, with so many different types of body types now at the quarterback position heights, I mean, I care if you can find a window, right? And mm-hmm. for that, I mean, that's why everyone goes bonkers for the throwing from different platform stuff now, right? So either way, I mean, a lot of quarterbacks are just kind of changing their platform regardless. But I mean, I care about, I want release quickness. And for me, that's not changing a release point as much as that is just follow through, right? Like mm-hmm. the, kind of the consistent getting to your follow through motion. I want a good base. Like you said, Brian, I want to make sure that my lower body and my upper body are aligned as much as possible. There's going to be some times when you're navigating chaos where that's impossible, but I want to get those things aligned. I want to make sure the, the feet are working with me and I want to have a consistent and compact release that is going into a follow through. Like I want that part of the deal. Cause as long as you're following through the release quickness should kind of fix itself a little bit. And I think the biggest thing you said that I agree with hundred percent is comforts, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you, when you're teach when you're, I mean, especially a throwing motion, man. I mean, for Tyler Buckner's entire life, I'm sure he's been a quarterback the majority of his life. His release has been the same, the same, the same. And then all of a sudden you completely try to change everything. And that's a lot of years of muscle memory, man. And that's a hard time to deprogram and reprogram. So I am also not big into the release thing. I mean, I, one of my favorite quarterbacks ever was Philip Rivers. So you yeah. already talked about mm-hmm. that was the most unorthodox quarterback of all time. I mean, when you're talking about it, I mean, you think about Bernie Kosar had like a similar type of release, right? Like those things are not traditional, but as long as it gets to the right spot, what does it actually matter at the end? It's more about the end results. The process is always going to be different for quarterbacks. I understand where coming from with Phillip Rivers, but as a Broncos fan, I just can't. I can't with Phillip Rivers. I can't. But he's uh, so he's, he's such a tough guy, though, man. I he big time, big time. Yeah. But, you know, like you said, he was a very accurate quarterback. And it, you know, it's it just is ma- the release points of what matters, not how you get there. So yes. as long as that as long as the results are, are good, Tyler Buckner's going to be fine. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. John A1 asks, who are you putting on the field facing an opponent offense in 22 personnel inside the five? Who's in Notre Dame? Who in Notre Dame's defense? Who's in Notre Dame's defense? Big package. The 22 personnel, for those who don't know, is two tight ends, two running backs, and one receiver. You could also go 23 personnel. So inside the five-yard line, John, or Ryan, they've got two tight ends, two backs in the backfield. What is your Notre Dame personnel going to look like? I mean, so I'm either going to run a five-man or a six-man front, depending on what the general flow of the game is, John. I mean, it's it's a tough question because I kind of need, like, what is the, the flow of the game? And it's, like, something that's, like, not – it's not easy to quantify all the time, you know, it's just because kind of – that's, like, the, the – that's, like, the tough part of coaching, in my opinion, Brian, is that, like, sometimes it's – you can't really explain why you did something. It's just, like, kind of a feeling, right? Like, it's just, like, oh, I, I need to do that right now. Like, it's not as much, like, a – reactive it's more like a proactive type of feel to like how you coach but if I'm working in a five-man front I would like to get a little beef on the field I mean that this is really dependent on Gabriel Rubio Jason Onye 
either one of those guys can play a high level of football. I'm going to get one of them on the field for sure. There's no doubt about it. It's kind of getting a bigger package on there. So one of them will be at the nose. I probably have Jason Adam Malola will definitely be on the field. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about it. So I'd have him. I'd probably go with Jacob Lacey just because he's got a little more size comparative to a Howard Cross. So Cross would probably be off the field. And then I would have Riley Mills and of course, Isaiah Foskey on the field as well. So that would probably be my five man front. I would probably have some form of a five, three. So I would have in this instance, I would probably bring in Bo Bauer off the field. So I'd have some combination of Bo Bauer, JD Bertrand and Maris Loifal. And then my single high safety in the middle of the field would be a Brandon Joseph. And then obviously my two corners, but obviously in this situation, we want to get some size on the field. So it's a necessity for me to get either one of Onye or a Gabriel Rubio on the field that can give you a little more beef. I cannot believe you didn't have Junior Chuel Mock on in your in your lineup. I'm I'm offended and hurt. It's, it's either him or Bo, <laughs> man. I went with the experience. It's okay, I get you. I get you. And Coach, you know this, Brian, Bo Bauer. If you tell him to crash an A or a B yes. gap, and that's your responsibility, oh, yeah. yes, 100 sir. miles an hour, he's going to hit it like a. We have a question about World War II tanks. He's going to hit it like a tank, <laughs> yes. and like a Sherman tank. He's going to crush that thing. No question about it. Coach Bent, 574, in my opinion, Chase Claypool is the last complete wide receiver, blocking and receiver we've had. Out of only wide receivers, not, not so Mayer, who is the closest to being a dominant complete receiver? So you, your second part of your question says dominant complete receiver. The first part just says the last complete receiver. I will actually disagree with your comment. I thought Javon McKinley in 2020 was a very good player. His numbers per targets were outstanding. He just wasn't targeted as much as Chase was. The offense didn't throw it as much as it did in 2019. But when given opportunities, he was great. And the other thing about Javon in 2020, even though his numbers don't come close to matching Chase, go look at every big game Notre Dame played in that year. Javon was really good. And even in games where he didn't get his numbers didn't look good, like against Bama, Clemson, and the ACC title game, he was getting open. He just wasn't getting the football. He was great against Clemson. He was great against North Carolina. He really stepped up that year, and he was a beast as a blocker, Ryan. So I would say last complete receiver they had was Javon McKinley. Now, being the complete dominant receiver, I don't think Javon was dominant the way the chase was by any stretch. So I'll go with you there. I just – who's the closest to being a dominant complete receiver? I don't think they really have that kind of guy. I don't think Deion Colsey's anywhere close to being that kind of guy. I don't – I don't think Tobias would be that kind of guy as a freshman. I think Tobias will eventually get there because he's an effort guy in the run game. He just needs yeah. to get stronger and keep filling out. So I'd say probably Tobias and, and Dion would be the only two that could be in that conversation. I mean, Braden Lindsay's not going to be that guy. Lorenzo Styles isn't going to be that guy. He's not going to go throw around cornerbacks. No, he'll, he'll be, he's a good blocker as a freshman. But right. as far as like the kind of dominance you're talking about, where you're talking about like Chase Claypool, the bigger bodied guys. I don't think there is that guy. I know who that guy is going to be in three years, though, Ryan, and he's not on the current roster. You know exactly who I'm talking about. Who's the dominant? Yes, yes. Just because the body type, just the all-around game, you know, he's going to be their most ferocious blocker in three. I mean, well, I mean, say three years. I'm just giving him time to get into the rotation. He'll be their best blocker. I don't know. What what day is he going to step foot on campus? Whatever day that is, that's the day that he becomes the best blocker on on this, on the wide receiver depth chart. Yeah, man. Uh, he and that's why I really love Jane Greathouse, if I'm being honest, because he just has kind of that like ferocious personality, right? Like he's such a nut. But we had him on the show, right? And he's just like a, such a polite, nice kid. But then on the field, he's just like, I'm putting you in the dirt, <laughs> and, and I love it, man. And I'll give Chase all the credit in the world. Chase Claypool, he, I mean, he was a massive kid, obviously, right? Like six four, three, two hundred thirty plus pounds, and he would, you know, dog some dudes for sure. Jaden Greathouse has just kind of that demeanor to him that I, that I mm-hmm. agree that he could definitely be that guy. Braylon James maybe could be that guy in the future if, when he starts adding some weight and doing all that type of stuff. But I, I agree, like the most clean projection would probably be a great house. Tobias is interesting though because I, I actually did notice some of his uh, some of his highlights where I thought he did put give really good effort as a blocker. And I think for for this question, you're definitely looking for like the bigger body type because I mean, like you said, Lorenzo Styles can block like he, it's mm-hmm. fine. But it's just not like, you know, he's not going to manhandle dudes at the point yeah. of attack. Like, it's just not he's, – he's more of a stock blocker, getting in good position and having effort in that department. So, yeah. uh, it always nice to have that type of guy, though, because they they set some tone when they 
You remember uh, Terrell Owens? He was like mm-hmm. one of the best blocking wide receivers I've ever seen, man. He would absolutely destroy dudes in the run game. Yep. Heinz Ward, even though he was smaller, would destroy dudes in the run game. Yep. I love those types of players. We're going to keep answering questions, but while we're talking about questions, we are going to pull up the practice video from today and just let you guys kind of watch a little bit of the practice video. It's like three minutes long while we're while we're talking. So for those of you who didn't see it, uh, we'll let you get a chance to watch it. So the next question, Ryan, is from John Klimek. He said, is there an alpha wide receiver in the current group? There's I, I potential think for several, Ryan. I mean, yeah, there's potential for several. Yeah. No, I, and I think that, John, this is the big difference between – I mean, like the last question is asking us about being a dominant blocker and fixture as a wide receiver. That's kind of why – hesitancy to include Lorenzo Styles in there just because of the size aspect. But I think Lorenzo could be an alpha. I do. I mean, I think that he's a guy that can dominate from all over the formation. Brian mentions Tobias Merriweather as a guy that I think could be that guy as well. Like he could be an alpha. He could be a lead dog for a, you know, a good passing attack. If Deion Colsey ever takes a step, he could be that guy from a talent perspective. There's no doubt at all. So yeah, I think that there are several on the team right now. And I would also say that there's a couple in the 2023 recruiting class that Notre Dame has committed right now that I could see being alphas. I could see Brandon James being an alpha. I could see Jaden Greathouse being an alpha. Those are that those types of personalities that are in the room. So, yeah, I think there's several guys, John, that could be that guy. Uh, Lorenzo Styles closest now. I think Tobias Merriweather is the next after that. I think I think Lorenzo has a chance over the next year to emerge as that guy. Ryan's talked about it. I think Tobias takes over after that at some point in time. And I can even see it being a situation where in 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 2023, you know, we're having a similar conversation like my me and my buddy Tim O'Malley who who writes for Irish Illustrated, really good guy. We have all these different debates and I, I love talking football with Tim. Uh, but we've had a debate for, I don't know, years about who was better, Golden Tate or Michael Floyd. We still have that debate, you know, and, and I could see it being a situation in 2023 where we are having that conversation with Lorenzo and, and Tobias, and I think that's a great place to be in, Ryan, is when you are having that discussion of of who really is the alpha, not because I don't know who it is. None of these guys are alphas to where, I don't know, this guy's really good. Yeah, but this guy's really good. I think that's where Notre Dame, it, like when the Notre Dame offense truly arrives, it'll be that. Because yeah. we're having conversations about which one of these dudes is the best. Like you could have a you know who was the best guy at Alabama? Was it Jalen Waddle, Jerry Judy? Was it Devonte Smith? You know what I mean. And same thing with Ohio State. You know, you'll you'll most people I think should say Garrett Wilson. Some will say Chris Olave. Well, what what about Michael Thomas? Well, hey, Devin Smith is the only one with a ring. You know that kind of thing. So uh, those are the com- those are the places you want to be when you're talking about having those conversations. Hundred percent. John A1 says, is there any offensive scheme that Notre Dame doesn't have the personnel to run? So outside of the triple option. I mean, there... I would argue, though, that they would have the personnel if Avery? they wanted to use it. Avery? Come on, Avery what Davis? What, yeah. a quarterback? Yeah. No, I mean, t- Tyler could run the triple option. No. No. With uh, with Aldrick Estime as the dive back, and then you have no. Chris Tyree no. coming around on the, <laughs> no, the he, motion. No, he probably oh, could. Man. He probably could. Yeah, he, he probably could. could. He could. I I don't think um, don't have the no I think they have the I mean look if they wanted to go to a a pro style offense I think they I think like meaning like old school pro style so fullback tight end I mean there's things they could do they have fullbacks on the roster now mm-hmm. you know, you saw in some of the clips from today's well we didn't actually put them in the practice video but there was practice video that I couldn't because we can only put three minutes there was practice video in there that you were seeing them go through like what one of the drills they'll do is they'll just kind of work on handoff techniques. So it's just a quarterback, the running backs, and they just work on their, you know, they'll put like cones down or remember the, uh, the fire hoses. I don't know if they yeah. still have those or not, but like the fire hoses, uh, which has like the guard and then the space and then the tackle, then the space and all that. And then you just work, kind of work on your aiming points, you know, Hey, work on your aiming point thing like that. I never loved that drill to be honest with you as a coach, because it it never works that way. Like the line doesn't just stay there. I always like kind of starting it with a bag and then like the bag would work and then you had to press the bag. I always kind of felt that was a more practical drill for running backs, different conversation for a different day. But uh, you know, you, you, between those fullbacks you have on the rush, the walk-ons between, you know, Kevin Bauman, Kane Barong, you know, the tight end depth chart. I think there's plenty of things you could do with a sort of a second, a fullback type of look. Uh, You could, you know, the, the only question I would have is, you know, you'd be somewhat limited a little bit on some of the pass game stuff because most of your receivers are on the small side. 
would would be a concern, but like running back wise, you can handle that. I mean, put Aldrick Estime back there if you want to. You know, give me two running backs who can do it. And and then I think the only other one is is a is a run and shoot would be a little tough for Notre Dame right now just because of depth at receiver. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a four receiver offense, and you got six healthy receivers or seven healthy, you know, six healthy receivers because Joe Wilkins is out. So. I was that, gonna say yeah. the air raid is one yeah. that'd be just a little tough. Yeah. Well, yeah. the the reason I'll say no to the air raid is mm-hmm. I'd have you'd have to specify the Mike Leach version of the air raid. Because I think a good air raid coach would look at his tight end depth chart and say, I can use Eli Raritan in, in this role. I can like, use Kane like Barong. Phil, like Phil Longo's kind of done at points. He's done yeah, a really good that. job with that. Like really yeah. good job with that. Mike uh Lincoln Riley has used fullbacks tight ends a lot in his version of the air raid. So, sure. but the Mike Leach version, Notre Dame can't run that for the same reason, like the old school run and shoot would be one that they couldn't do. Right. So that's a, a, a really good point, but it, I mean, most stuff they can do. I, the, the problem with the triple option, honestly, Ryan would be, they don't have the offensive lineman for that because it's an off. I mean, it's quick and under, you know, it's, it's just, yeah. a, they're a big, powerful offensive line. I mean, you, you know, that, I'd say who would thrive in a triple option offense for Notre Dame. Emil Wagner, true. <laughs> right now, his his size doesn't become an issue. Emil Wagner could play tackle in a triple option offense right now. Well, Sullivan Absher is going to be in town next year too, and he literally has played in a triple. Him and Joe Otting are walking in like, yeah, I'm, I'm in my comfort zone. There's no doubt about it. I would personally quit and go find something else to do if I had to cover the triple option every single day. I would. I'd be like, Ryan, here you're taking over, man. I'm out. I'm out. I'm going <laughs> to spend the rest of my life on a beach somewhere. Till I run out of money, which would be like next Thursday. So, uh, John, anyone with another question? Who would be your uh, your out from nowhere player on offense and defense? Not a star, but a con- key contributor like Chris Fink or Drew White burst on the scene in 2018. It's a good yeah, question. A, it's a yeah, really it's a, good one. It's a really good one. It's it's a tough one too. Yep. I out of nowhere. I mean, I, you know, I it could be a guy that doesn't play a ton, wasn't expected yeah. to be much of an impact guy. Maybe it's someone who people don't think is that good that ends up becoming a good player. You know, do you th- do you think it's out of the realm for to fit this question that if I say to Kevin Bauman, just not at all. I think that fits. Him? I think that fits right perfectly. I mean, if he takes that number yeah. two tight end role, right? I mean, who who's talking a lot about Kevin Bauman right now? Nobody. Right. I don't even. I mean, there's not really a tight end that many people are. I mean, I guess yeah. Kane Barong a little bit, yeah. but like not really. But honestly. he said like, not a star. Yeah. That's what he said. Right. Like not a star, but a key contributor. You know, like Chris Fink yeah. was their third best receiver that year, but he was he had some money moments and some in some clutch catches. I mean, the Michigan touchdown. You know, the, he had a, one of the best catches, uh, best throws that uh, that Ian Book ever made was that corner route to Fink against USC in 2018. If you remember that throw, that was a yeah. gorgeous throw. Uh, for a touchdown in the game that they were coming back from. And Chris made a great catch along the sidelines for me. And what's funny is he had, uh, I think, seven catches for like 100-some yards in the first half of that game. Like Chris Fink put the offense on his back in the first half of the USC game when they were down 10-0 and and made some great, great catches and throws and uh, and helped them get back in that game. So it wasn't a star. I mean, it was Miles. It was Chase. It was Dex. You know, that kind of thing. Ian. Yeah. But yeah, I think Kevin Bauman would fit that perfectly if he's that number two guy. I'm I'm going with Zeke Carell on offense. Let's go. I, I just think look, he's he's never going to get the love because he's going to have Jarrett Patterson to one side. He's going to have the tackles are always going to get a ton of publicity, rightfully so. You know, Blake Fisher's always going to be the star, which rightfully so. Sure. He's always going to be a little bit overlooked, but I think he's going to be such an important integral part of this offensive line success. And then, which in turn is the offense's success. If your center is not good or struggles, it can jack up your whole offense. I mean, it can mess you up big time because we always talk about Ryan defensively. You've got to be good up the middle on all three levels. I believe the same thing to be true on, on offense. If you're not good center quarterback and running back, you're going to have a hard time being a really successful offense. What about defense? Who's your pick on defense? It's somebody that we talked about briefly before the show started. Alexander Ahrensberger is okay. my guy. Yeah, uh, I, I think that he's the most natural backup at strong side defensive end. You know, to Riley Mills. I know Nana Osafa Mensa has been a guy that's played some football, but I mean, man, it's hard to not watch. It's hard to watch Alexander Ahrensberger and not get like a little juiced about like, wow, man, like he looks the part he needs to put it together. But I mean, 
Brian, I mean, he's working off of pure traits and he's made mm-hmm. a couple plays in his Notre Dame career just off of pure traits. So if Al Washington has him working in the right in a good direction, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some work in some sub packages with his ability to have the length and rush ability. And if he's the main backup at strong side defensive end, I think I think that's possible. So I'm going to go with Alexander Ehrensberger. The only other guy that was on the top of my head was Jacob Lacey. If he, you know, we just get like a, <clears throat> excuse me, a full kind of scope of Jacob Lacey. If he's able to stay healthy, but I'll go with Alexander Ehrensberger for this one. I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction on this one. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to be a corner. And it's going to either be Clarence Lewis or what my ultimate pick is, is Tariq Bracey. I think, I think Notre Dame fans have pretty much kind of just written Tariq Bracey off. He just, he is what he is. And and I get that because he's kind of just been the same guy for three years now, you know, like, okay, at times, you know, really good at times. Okay. At other times we'll have some plays where you just get smoked. I, from things I've heard and just kind of where I think he is, I think Tariq Bracey is a guy that's going to have a really good year. He may not make a ton of, plays where we look at and say hey look wow look what he did and he made this big play and that game changing play but you're just like man that did that guy only catch three passes for 31 yards like man what let me go back and watch the film oh yeah Tariq was on the whole game you know and and I think they're gonna need him to be that guy because there's I mean the big games we're talking about Notre Dame needing to win this year Ryan are games where it's Teams are going to spread the ball, spread the field out formationally and throw the ball and, and all those type of things. So sure. um, I think Tariq Bracey is going to be mine on defense. It's an interesting one. I feel like, mm-hmm. I mean, he's been good in spurts just during his mm-hmm. career. And I just been like really good get, at times. Yeah. I feel like he just doesn't get the love, obviously, because I mean, honestly, he was pressed into so much duty outside and he's yeah. just not a natural outside kid, right? Yeah. Like just a lack of length. But I think he could be a really good player in the nickel to your point. He was, he was, uh, I'm trying to think, it was the Georgia game in 2019. Go back and watch the Georgia game in 2019. It's like games like that are like, that's what I think Tariq Bracey can be. It's just he can't consist, he hasn't shown the ability to consistently do it. I just think he's going to be really good this year. And I think to your point, Ryan, I actually think he could play outside in certain defenses, mm-hmm. especially against like, I think he would have been a guy that would have been perfectly fine in outside against Ohio State last year you know, Alabama in 2020 because they're more his style of athlete. Mm -hmm. But then there's going to be games like, you know, he goes out and does great against Virginia or I mean, it's Georgia. And then he gets torched against Virginia. Why? Because remember that year, Virginia just had a bunch of monsters at receiver. You know, they just were just throwing it up and he couldn't do anything about it. And that's, that's where he gets in. USC did that to him a couple of times in 2018 as well. The only time he really had balls called on that year was just Michael Pitt. I think it was Michael Pittman. And they're just throwing it up to him, and there's nothing Tariq could do about it because he's just he's he's not tall and he's not long. It's a bad combination on the outside. It's funny because last year you might have wanted him to play outside against Ohio State, but you probably don't want that to happen this year with like Marvin Harrison Jr. and those guys playing. To your mm-hmm. point, so that's right. That's an interesting one, right? Yeah. So this matchup this year is not as good of a matchup as it would have been last year against Chris Olave and and Garrett Wilson. So yes, absolutely. All right, let's get uh, let's get down to some more. Real, like I said, really good questions today, Ryan. Stonador said, "What is the concern with the receiver room? It seems like we have guys with great potential. Is it a depth concern? Will Notre Dame be fine if there are no serious injuries, or do they need lots of receivers for the rotation?" It, for me, Ryan, I think that the, there's two concerns. Number one, depth is one. We've talked a lot about depth, and number two, it's will they be money players? And I think mm-hmm. that is the big question mark. I mean, look. You know, Lorenzo, you know, steps up as the one and, and Braden will do his thing and all those things are fine. But that 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 just gets you numbers that beats Stanford, that beats Syracuse to win championships. You have to be in a situation where you have your you have money players who steps up in the big moments when the game is on the line. That's the big question mark for me. And I know you've talked a lot about Lorenzo Styles has the potential to be that guy. And we completely agree on that. Same with Tobias Merriweather. I think, you know, but whoever, whether it's Braden or, or Lorenzo Styles or Deion Colsey or Tobias Merriweather, Avery Davis or whoever, Jaden Thomas, I don't care who it is. They need guys that are money players that step up when it's, you know, Chris Brown's a perfect example. Chris Brown never had great numbers. But I could name you three or four plays he made in his career that were just huge plays in big moments. I think of the Oklahoma game as a freshman, the, the phenomenal leaping grab he had in the back of the end zone against Boston College in 2015 that rescued that game that BC almost a crap BC team almost came back and won. 
he just made plays when he needed to. And, and now he had some, you know, mistakes as well, but he made plays when he in big moments. And that's what, that's to me the besides just numbers, that's the biggest question mark for me is who's going to step up. Who's going to be that money guy that when the game's in the line, they're like, throw me the ball. I mean, outside of his great numbers, what often gets missed about Will Fuller, he was one of the more clutch receivers Notre Dame has had. I mean, how many get hit at least two game winning touchdowns off the top of my head in 2015, Virginia Temple. You know, I mean, and he just, he would always answer, you know, if, if you needed a big play, he'd always answer. Stanford goes down and scores, Fuller goes for 75 on the next the next series. <laughs> That's just how he was. He was a money player for Notre Dame. Yeah. I, I have the same concerns. I mean, number one is depth. I mean, we talked about it. If there's an injury or two, then you're really starting to get into some very crisis situation from a numbers mm-hmm. perspective, in my opinion. But the biggest thing is, what you said, Brian, I have, I think there's a decent baseline. Like if Avery Davis is healthy, I know what Avery Davis is going to give me. I have pretty good understanding of what Brandon Lindsay's going to give me. I, if Lorenzo Styles is at worst, what he was at the end of the year last year, then he's a good football player. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's who's your dudes, right? Like who's right. a guy that can take a game over potentially, or make the big play in the big moment, the right. money play, like you just kind of said. Right. So I need to see, who are the alphas? We had a question about alphas earlier. Is there an alpha this year? Is there a couple alphas? If there are, then you're in a good spot. But overall, my number one key concern and it's been consistent dating back to the spring is that the depth is just a big question mark with the wide receiver position still, mm-hmm. obviously. Yep. We have a super chat from Chris Irish Young. He says, first live show in a while. Thank you, Chris, for your super chat being with us. I usually only have time to watch at a later time, but wanted to send a thank you for all the great content. Chris, thank you. Really appreciate your support. It's it's uh, acts like this that really help us continue to grow and thrive, and we appreciate it very, very much. Randy Hernandez also has a super chat. Thank you, Randy, very much, very much for that, and all the others you've sent us. We appreciate it. So I know the quarterback competition is still going on, but when you when do you see them naming the official starter? So I want to comment on this. Look, like, Okay, there's a quarterback competition, but folks, there's no question about who the starting quarterback is going to be. It's it would have to require someone getting injured or faltering for Tyler Buckner to be starting quarterback. I I, I have a lot of people saying like things are being said, but I don't know what other people are reporting. I don't know. I don't care. I'm just telling you what we know and what we've seen is barring him just collapsing over the next three weeks or him getting injured, Tyler Buckner is going to be the starting quarterback. And I don't care, Randy, when they name him the starting quarterback. I mean. Yeah, the team knows, right? They'll know. Whenever they know when it's officially decided, they'll know. But And that's all that matters. Uh, I mean, I'm sure Marcus Freeman, like a lot of other coaches, they're going to get into the whole, uh, you know, the 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 the, the uh, mental part of it. Like, oh, you know, let's play the mental games and all that, which I, I really don't think matter. I mean, I think that means more in coaches' heads than it does practically. But, I, I mean, I don't know when they'll do it. I, I would hope they would just do it in the next week. Because what's going to happen is, is right now, if there are people talking about it, they're just talking about they're giving their opinions on what they've seen in practice, which I still don't know how anyone could have an opinion on the quarterback play when all you've seen is individual drills and stretch and special teams. Right. Uh, you know, but whatever, you got to write about something. But for me, what's going to happen is, is as you get deeper into camp and closer to the game, more and more people are going to ask other players about it rightfully so because that's their job that's not a knock on reporters that's their job you know so if there's not a name starter and there's still a perceived quarterback battle fans want to know about it and so reporters doing their job are going to ask about it and and write about it totally fine with it totally fair my point is you want to try to get away from that if possible i think that benefit is more than any potential benefit you would gain by dragging it out and you know maybe getting some sort of advantage over Ohio State. Ohio State, trust me, Ohio State's planning for Tyler Buckner. They are. They're game planning for Tyler Buckner. They're not game planning for Drew Pine. That's not a knock on Drew Pine. It's just Drew Pine is just going to execute the offense that they know that they're going to execute. The only thing that gets added with Tyler Buckner is the running threat. If you're game planning for Tyler Buckner, you will have game planned for Drew Pine from the passing aspect of it. you got to make sure that you're prepared to handle Tyler Buckner. So I don't think it's going to give you this big advantage, in my opinion, uh, so the I think the bigger advantage and the bigger push for you is once you've made the ultimate decision and you know and you want the team to know and more importantly you want the players to know the quarterbacks to know then I would like to be see it named so that way the players aren't getting asked to make you can get all the Tyler 
questions out of the way that day in whatever press conference, and then you can hopefully move on to other things. And so that's why I would kind of like to see them do it sooner rather than later. But ultimately, I, I don't I don't care big picture when they do it. Thoughts on that, Ryan? Yeah, I mean the I mean to your point again, the players know who it is, right? right. I mean, I, I don't think that people were. I don't think players are are deaf to that to that conversation mm-hmm. that they know who the starting quarterback is going to be for Notre Dame. It's just it's 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 I, I do think there's like a fine line between the timing sometimes because like you can't mm-hmm. preach competition and then do it too quick, right? Because then that just kind of seems like you were just kind of not it was not a serious thing. And I do think that Marcus Freeman truly wanted to make it wanted to make it a competition. I just think that I think Tyler Buckner is just kind of made a gap between him mm-hmm. and Drew Pine going back from the spring until now. So I expect it relatively shortly. I don't have any information on that. You know, we're just kind mm-hmm. of speculating at this point, but I wouldn't expect it to drag on personally. Yeah. People in the chat today are trying to start problems, Ryan. My man, John Christoffic says, Brian loves the wishbone offense. John's trying oh, yeah. to start some stuff with me today. <laughs> he also <laughs> predicted that we would be matching today and he nailed that as well. So yeah. maybe maybe he's on to something. Maybe maybe we he's should, on. We to should something. do we should rank your top 5 least favorite offenses. Mhm. Would would uh <laughs> maybe I mean there's really there's really only a couple. I don't like, don't like the triple option and I don't like the wishbone. Those are it. I just I'm not a big wish option Single fan. wing? You like single wing? <laughs> whatever it's all good if you got the right personnel and you're in the right decade sure go for it i've never liked the 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 triple option the way that navy doesn't i've I've never liked that it's like it to me it's like i just i get why they do it totally they should do it it just it's like to me it's like it's not real football you know it's just like it's like all this gimmicky stuff but it works for them the navy triple in in uh, ncaa 14 was undefeated brian on have never used that in a thing and i'm ashamed of you for actually wasting time on a video game using the triple option uh, I, was, <laughs> I, I couldn't be beat man i could not okay. be beat okay ast one two three two one thank you for your super chat very very much ast i saw a comment on the board ryan i'm gonna direct this one to you I saw a comment on the board that uh, and this was actually an accurate comment because Jim Knowles said this in a press conference uh, that, Ohio, that the new Ohio State defensive coordinator, Jim Knowles, said the defense was 25 percent installed. Is it just me or does that sound like we might get a first year Knowles D? Now, what he's referring to for context, Ryan, yeah. we have talked about on the show, Jim Knowles defenses usually have struggled in the first year. And the reason for that is, is he's a very good defensive coordinator, but he sort of has walked into situations in the past where he was inheriting a messed up situation. So it's like, you got nothing to lose, get it right first. And so he would kind of go heavy into, we're going to do it my way. And then the first year at at Duke, his first year at Duke and his first year at Oklahoma State, they actually gave up more points, more yards, and more yards per play than they did the previous year when they were fired. And then eventually, as he got his players in and guys picked up his complex system, defenses ended up being pretty good. And so uh, that's, I think, where he's coming from. So Ryan... When you look at that percentage and, you know, your what weekend at fall camp, it's 25% installed. How would you, how would you answer that question? We talked about this before. I think that that's actually a good thing for Ohio state. Mm-hmm. If I'm being honest, like I think that Jim Knowles, and again, it's a different situation where you're walking into more talent than you were with a Duke, for instance. Right. But and even Oklahoma state, but to that degree, I would say that, keeping it simplistic year one with such good athletes, I think is the, is the way to optimize the talent that you have. And I think overcomplicating things early on is it's like, it's like, I I like guys kind of getting eased into it because especially on a defensive side of the football, it's like, it's one of those things where sometimes simpler is better. Right. And, and I think that it's better for the Ohio state defense, honestly, just in, especially in the beginning of the season, if you are just working consistent understanding of things and not trying to cram in too many different personnel groupings or ideologies into the defense. And I think that that can overcomplicate some good athletes at at times, especially early on. So I think it's actually a good sign for coach Knowles and the Ohio state defense that maybe he is not pushing to install things too quickly. It's kind of easing good athletes into things that they know things, things that they're comfortable with. So Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty positive for the Ohio state team. If I'm being completely transparent. I think for me, Ryan, it would depend on how much more of it do they want to do. 
Because if he's like, look, first year, we want to have 50% of the playbook installed by the start of the season. That's fine. You know, I mean, that's not as much as you might think. I think for me, it, it if, if that would that would get it to where I think they'd be fine, but I do think they'd have some struggles early. But let's say he does what a lot of other coaches do, which is we're going to install a bunch early and then just spend the rest of fall camp kind of building on that. So I don't know the answer to the second part of the question for me, Ryan, is, okay, 25% in. That's a lot of an entire playbook that you're starting new because you're adding a lot of new stuff because normally if it's like when Clark Lee's doing because you install every year. You know, I mean, you always install every single year because you have new players, you little wrinkles that are different, and you don't just assume the guys remember everything from the year before. But when guys do remember stuff, it, it allows you to get through way quicker, right? So what could happen is, is that you can just throw a lot at them early and then say, okay, you're going to sink a little bit, but then we're going to stop here of adding new and then just spend the rest of the time perfecting what we've added in. I don't know if that's his plan or if he plans on getting to 100 or 75 or 50. I don't know the answer to that. That would all ultimately dictate my thoughts on on that. I also think one big difference mm-hmm. is if he does if he does go the further he gets into his playbook in fall camp, the worse it's going to be for them when they play Notre Dame in my opinion because they yeah. will make mistakes. But I think that it won't be like the first year as at those other places for two reasons. Number one, he has Way better players at Ohio State than he had at those other places. Way better players. He also has a significantly better offense than he had at other those other places. That's going to help the defense because when he does make a mistake, then the offense is going to counter right back with the score of their own, and that kind of allows them to maybe take some more risks, Ryan. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think the combination of those two things is why you won't see the big drop-off. You won't see Ohio State this year as a team giving up more points, yards, and yards per play on the season than they gave last year, in my opinion. I don't think that they will. Sure. Could it happen against Notre Dame? Sure. Not saying it will, but it could. But I think in the end, and honestly, if I'm Jim Knowles, I'm not so much worried about the Notre Dame game. And the reason I say that is, is I'm worried about it from we need to go win. But what I mean is I'm not so afraid of what happens in that game that I don't do what I think is going to be best for us for the entire season. Because the reality is, if Ohio State loses to Notre Dame, as long as it's a competitive game, and they run the table, and they're 12-1 and at the end of the year, and their only loss is to a Notre Dame team that we think is going to be pretty good, I think they're still in the playoffs, the college football playoff. So I I don't think they should completely build their entire team-building philosophy around winning that first game. It's very important. But it's not the end-all, be-all because they have bigger things in mind, Big Ten championship, and then a Big Ten championship leads to potential for another playoff appearance. And that, to me, is, is going to be the key. And then when you look at Ohio State's schedule, Ryan, you know, I, I do think that you're talking about a situation where if they can get through the Notre Dame game with, you know, skate by with a win over against Notre Dame, or if they're in a situation where they lose that game, they got a couple weeks to get right. And, you know, they got Arkansas State the next week and then Toledo the next week. And then they do play Wisconsin, but Wisconsin is a home game. And it's not necessarily an offense that you need to spend a ton of time coming up with a million different gimmicks for offensively. They've kind of handled Wisconsin relatively well. Then you got Rutgers. So the next month, you've got one team that's even in your your same universe as you as a football team. What, Rutgers? uh, (laughs) Arkansas (laughs) State, dude. Come on, get with it. Um, Clearly, it's Toledo. Uh, So that's kind of my thing is, is, and you're not going to face an offense that's got the firepower that Notre Dame is going to have until much later in the season, in my opinion. I mean, if at all, in the regular season. So uh, that's, that's kind of where I, my stance on that. But, but good question, AST. And, and answer, Ryan, obviously, good answer. If if Jim Knowles is trying, still has a uh, if he has the thought process that he's going to put a hundred percent in, and he's only at twenty five right now though for, for the fall camp, then I feel a lot better about Notre Dame's chances offensively. I'll just leave it at that. And I don't think he's going to do that. I don't. I don't think so either. Yeah, I, 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 don't. I think. I mean, I think good coaches learn from mistakes that they've made in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think that he will. I think he has a general understanding. Like the first year in my last couple stops. We're not the best, and why did that happen? Right, like you're like you're, now. Let's, but I let's think it was purposeful, though, I, because and and the reason I say that is is because he walked into two situations where they were bad. There was no expectations of a championship at Duke that first year, at Oklahoma State that first year. So I think though it, the circumstances called for that. Like, look, I was brought in here to fix something that was horrible, and you know we're gonna 
we got, we're going to take some hits first because we got to completely change this whole thing around. So if I'm right and that was purposeful and he would accepted that, then we also then would have to assume, Ryan, that he's smart enough to know that you can't do that at Ohio State because the expectations. It, so that's my thought. But if you're right and he it wasn't his plan, it, then I also think we have to assume that he is also smart enough to know that he can't do that again. So either way, whether I'm right or you're right about why he did that, yeah. we both agree he's smart enough to know that he can't do that again at Ohio State long term, like big picture for the whole season. So it's kind of like, hey, look, what are we going to do? Because can we be honest? Nobody installs 100% of their playbook. No one with a brain. No. Because every team's going to have different wrinkles. Hey, we like this play, but we don't have the personnel to do that this year. And that's just that's the reality of it. And then you definitely don't do it when you go into each game. You may have it all put in during fall camp, but once you get into prep for your first game, then you scale it back and you start focusing on what you do best and what's going to help you beat that football team. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Blaine Tiller asks, if you had to replace Freeman with either Jim Harbaugh, James Franklin, Scott Frost, Mel Tucker, or Ryan Day, who do you take? My immediate thought is Ryan Day, but I would think about Mel Tucker, if I'm being honest, because he's he's also a dynamic recruiter. Yep. So that would be the two I would I would pick for. And I I, I actually have a little more I understand why James James Franklin might be an interesting conversation, but for me, like I I think that there's more upside with Mel Tucker just as a game day coach Agreed. too in comparison. So I would say Tucker or Day, you can you can convince me on either one. Mm-hmm. The other three, no thank you. So regarding Mel Tucker, I, I think I like what he's doing right now in the recruiting trail. He's getting after it. He's really getting after it. At least him and his staff. I don't know if it's him as much. I don't follow them enough to know like if it's him, but the staff is getting after it. And I would assume he plays a role in that. And as you said, I think he's a, he's already proven to be a better a better game day coach than James Franklin. Yes. Can he recruit like James Franklin? That's a bigger question mark for me. And that yeah. that that I don't know, but I don't. I wouldn't want to recruit the way I wouldn't. I wouldn't enjoy Notre Dame recruiting successfully the way that James Franklin recruits. It's a lot of gimmicks. It's a lot of fluff. It's a lot of BS, and I just don't care much for that. To be honest with you, it would be. It would. I, I would go with Ryan Day. The track record, the offense. I mean, it would kind of sell itself in a lot of ways. So I'd probably go there. But you know, if you're if you're gonna say, hey, it's gonna be Mel Tucker. I, Again, I need to see him still prove some things to me long-term, but compared to those other three guys, I'll take, take Mel Tucker in a heartbeat. Because here's one thing I know about the Notre Dame football team, if Mel Tucker's your football coach, they're going to be tough. Mm-hmm. So one thing I can definitely say that that's going to be the case is they're going to be tough and they're, and they're going to work. And they're going to play with some edge. That Michigan State team played with an edge last year. They had some attitude, and mm-hmm. I liked their attitude. And I don't mean that like a negative way. I mean just like they had, they played confidently. They were a good football team last year in my opinion. Who would be who would be the guy that you would not even like you said the three that you would not you would not pick Frost, mm-hmm. Franklin, or Harbaugh? Who would be your last pick? Who's oh, last Scott pick Frost by a thousand miles. Even more than Harbaugh? Because I know oh, you have yeah. this taste. Jim for Harbaugh's yeah. weird. Yeah. Jim Harbaugh's a football coach. Scott Frost is from from and I won't get into too much because you know, I gotta protect myself here, but let's just say there's some extracurricular activities that have been thrown around about Scott Frost that to me would be you're fired on the spot if you're the head football coach in Notre Dame. Don't disagree. And I don't worry about that with James. Like, I have issues with James Franklin, and I think he has done some shady stuff. You know, we know what happened at Vanderbilt, some things that have happened at Penn State. I don't have a lot of I – don't, I don't feel like James Franklin would do that at Notre Dame. I think he's smart enough to know, like, you can't get away with that at Notre Dame. But that's But that right there is why he would be second to last on my list. Mm-hmm. is because there is that off-the-field stuff. Like, Jim Harbaugh's off-the-field stuff is what? Like, you know, he says weird things at a press conference, right? He eats like his, I, eats his boogers. Yeah, he <laughs> climbs a tree to, for recruit. You know, I mean, it's like it's weird stuff, but it's not like that's going to get you put on probation. Right. Or you're going to have to fire your head coach. I've never, I've never heard anything about Jim Harbaugh from that standpoint. 
I've never heard anything about Mel Tucker from that standpoint. Like those are things that for me are just like immediate red flags. You got to take a coach off. I've never heard anything like that about Ryan Day. So that's why those would be the only – those are the only three I'd really consider. Mm-hmm. Scott Frost is like, before you finish saying his name, like, no. You know, James Frank, before you finish saying his name, say no. And I understand why the appeal would be, but I just don't want to win that way. And there's too much of the the other – he ain't really paying attention to his program or he's promoting that in his program that I'm not okay with and uh, that would make, would make me say, I don't know how the guy saw his job. That that's my question. And, you know, so I've heard that Scott Frost has stopped doing that stuff, whether that's because he's grown up, which I doubt, or because he's trying to save his job, which is most likely, you know, I think that should help their team this year. But then if they start winning, does he go back to being an idiot? That's going to be the question mark. So it'll be very interesting. We had another super chat down here from uh, John Hassman. John, thank you very, very, very much for your super chat. Says, hey, fellas, long-time listener, medium-time board member, first-time chatter. Was watching the 2009 Nebraska versus Texas game last night. Couldn't help but see comparisons between Buckner and McCoy. Your thought. Thanks a lot. Ryan, I've heard this one a lot about yeah. the two. A lot. And I want to get your thoughts on, on Colt McCoy and Tyler Buckner as players. I mean, Buckner's a much more dynamic runner. I mean, like physically speaking as well, like he's going to break more tackles. Colt McCoy was a good like extender of the football in college. Mm -hmm. Like he could run when he needed to. And he had some decent rushing numbers from what I remember at Texas. Quick, accurate, body type is similar. I can get there with the body type. They're both about six foot one, two foot 10, 215 type of guys. They're pretty thick guys for the most part. I would say... I get a lot of the mechanical stuff inside inside the pocket. Like, I think that they both are pretty compact delivery, get the ball out quickly. I do think Buckner has a stronger arm, though, than Colt McCoy overall. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that if you told me, Brian, if, if the question was for Joe that Tyler Buckner is a more traitsy version of Colt McCoy, then sure, I can get I can get there, right? I think his arm's stronger. I think he's a more dynamic athlete. But from a pocket perspective – I can get there with it. Body mm-hmm. type, pocket perspective. I think there's some similarities there. I can get there. I think that how they impact the game is a little different. I think that their skill set is different. What I think, however, is I do think that both are were, were, I think Tyler is going to end up being very comparable to Colt in two areas. Number one, just kind of what you were saying, around just the overall, he's a playmaker. Colt didn't have a great arm. He was athletic, but not like a dynamic athlete like Tyler is. You know, he did, he wasn't that big. Like, there's nothing redeemable about Colt McCoy to say when you first watch him, like, that guy's going to be a great player. But you know he was? He's a playmaker, and he was he just battled, and he was smart. Yep. And I think Tyler has all those things, and 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 Colt was money. Now, we'll find out if Tyler can be that or not. We don't. I don't know the answers to that. But Colt just made plays, and, and Tyler is a more dynamic, like Ryan said, a more dynamic version of that. And, and I, and I think it took, I hope that the one thing they don't have in common is Colt was a gunslinger, right? I mean, he would, he, he turned the ball over a lot his first couple of years yes. and grew out of that. And I think part of that is because he didn't have the physical tools. He had to force stuff. And I think Tyler doesn't have to do that. So I don't think he'll, he'll be that, but I, I do think that there are, I understand the similarities between the two. I really mm-hmm. do. I just think that, that Tyler's a little bit more dynamic Colt is more proven as a big game guy. We got to see if Tyler can be that guy. But I understand why people think those comparisons are are accurate. And I and I like them from a guy can just make plays and he does it in different ways. And, and the extender part is a great one too. I think Tyler's going to do a lot of that. I think Tyler's going to add that extra dynamic, like you said. Like Colt had good rushing numbers in his career. Yeah. And it just but Tyler's that guy that you're worried like this guy's gonna rip it off for 40 at any point in time. And you really have to you really have to be prepared for that. Cole McCoy was like a Matt Corral kind of runner, yeah. right? Like he was like slippery and mm-hmm. I mean I hate those cliche scouting terms, but Colt McCoy was a gamer, man. Like he got stuff done. What are you mm-hmm. gonna say about it? Not incredibly yeah. talented, but like got the most out of his ability by a landslide. Right. And he and his those Texas teams he played on weren't as talented as the 05 team, top to bottom. But they won a lot because, you know, Colt was a winner. And the, the Big 12 was kind of, you know, kind of slowly going down a little bit for the most part during the later part of his career. But he was a really good football player. We had a uh, super sticker from Richard Powell. Richard, thank you very much for that. Appreciate that very much. Alex Flagstad. 
uh, with a super chat. Thank you, Alex. Hey, y'all uh, hopped in late, so apologies if this is off topic, but always wondered. Are programs using virtual reality to train quarterbacks to read defenses? Seem like it would be super useful. So first of all, uh, on the Friday mailbag, there really isn't much you can do that's off topic. Obviously, we would want to stick to football, but we have a question about World War II tanks that I'm going to get to in here in a little bit. Uh, so uh, I don't know if Notre Dame is using that, Ryan. They have in the past. There are definitely a lot of teams, that, especially in the NFL, mm -hmm. that use virtual reality in some way, some form to, to train quarterbacks. Not exactly the same, but do you remember Jonathan Stewart when he was at Oregon, the running back? They used to have that like virtual reality mm -hmm. thing where it like increases peripheral vision. Mm -hmm. So like lights would flash on different sides and he had to react mm -hmm. a certain way. So I, I know that, that running running backs especially have used that to kind of improve their peripheral vision, just their vision in general. So I do know that that is used just in general for for skill position players. Quarterback play, I'm not as sure, to be honest. Like, I, I mm -hmm. imagine that they have some type of technology, but I definitely know that there is there is absolutely a push to VR as, as a way to kind of improve just, the, I think, the just the reactionary stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that that's been a big push. Yeah. Got another super chat down here from Brendan Manning. Thank you, Brendan. He says, who's the most important recruit of the 2000s? I think Manti was, not just for being a top recruit player, but also opening the Polynesian Pipeline. That's I think a good that's one. fair. I, th yeah. I think the only reason Brendan and I would kind of push back on that a little bit because I count the 2000s as the as 2000 to 2009, and you only had Manti for one of those years. And the Polynesian pipeline he opened up didn't really impact the 2009s. It didn't really start. You know, you had Myron Tungvaloa, Mosa, Kona Schwenke, Justin Utupo, Maris Luafau, Jordan Patelho, Aloy Gilman. You know, another another one of those kids. Uh, so it didn't really impact that decade. I mean, I, I still think, you know, it, but there's a, there's a lot of different ways you could go with this. I, I still kind of feel like, hmm, I got to think about this one because there's several questions I want to I want to go with it on. I mean, part of me is like Jimmy Clausen because that kind of started Notre Dame getting some a run on big time players, which then impacted the 2010s. At the end of the day, I, Brandon, boy, this is a good question because every time I'm about to answer the question, I go back and I think of somebody else that would have been an impactful player. I think at the end of the day, I have to go with Brady Quinn. I think it's where I got to go with it because when you look at Brady Quinn and the success he had, you know, like I still feel like even though Charlie Weiss's tenure didn't end really well and, and Notre Dame didn't have a lot of success under Charlie, under Charlie Weiss in his last three years. I mean, just, I mean, literally a losing record his last three years. The thing about it is, that Notre Dame still had some cachet a little bit in his end of his recruiting cycle, which then let Brian Kelly inherit a better team talent wise. than a lot of people give credit for because of what Brady did. I mean, a lot of the, you know, the man time, I mean, if, if Brady Quinn doesn't, isn't Notre Dame starting quarterback in 2005, 2006, do they even have the prestige to even be able to sell Manti? Hey, we, we're going to get back to what they were under him. So I think at the end of the day, as I go back and I mean, think Julius Jones pops in my head, you know, all these Vic, Justin Tuck pops in my head. But you said most important. And I still think Brady Quinn is the most important. And look, let's talk about now. Brady Quinn is still impacting the University of Notre Dame today. I mean, he's a big driver behind one of the big collectives that's coming to Notre Dame. So not only did Brady Quinn have a big impact on Notre Dame for that two-year stretch and then opening up avenues to recruits moving forward because of what he was able to do leading the program, but that impact has gone over the last two decades. Brady has, ma has made an impact at with Notre Dame in different ways over the years, and he's a, no bigger than what he's doing now with this, with this, um, this collective that he's doing. Mm -hmm. And so I think, uh, I think I'd have to go with Brady Quinn for that reason. It's an interesting one. I, I think there's a couple ways that you can interpret this one. I actually am probably going to defer to Brand, Brendan and say Monty Teo would probably be my answer as well. Just mm -hmm. it's like the one that just sticks with me for some reason. Like right. as a fan, like it's the one I remember most. And then he was obviously a instrumental player for them. Let me interrupt real quick, Ryan, because Brendan Philt came out later and said ran out of the ran out of room on the super chat, but basically meant two thousand to present. So gotcha. if he if you go from 2000 to present Ryan then then what you're talking about Manti yeah becomes even more relevant cuz like my only pushback would have been but Manti only impacted you for that one year of that decade 
But if you open it up to 2000 to present, Ryan, then it's hard to say anybody other than Manti. The only other right. one that I think is debatable at that point in time would be Brady Quinn. At the, you know what I mean? When you talk about long-term aspect over that period of time. So in my, in my fandom, which started again in like the early 2000s, mostly like late 90s, not 90s a little bit, the two guys that have ignited my fandom, I would say, to the highest of levels were Brady Quinn and Monty Teo. And I would, I would, if you want to say either one, I'm completely good with that because as a Notre Dame fan who did not see the golden age of Notre Dame football, those are the two guys for me personally that I remember most and have the most vivid memories of greatness. Like mm-hmm. those guys kind of push the envelope. Like that's what you want a Notre Dame football player mm-hmm. to look like, like those two guys, in my opinion. So I, I am good with either one of those responses. Cause for me personally, those guys kind of stick with me the most yeah. in, during my fandom personally. I think runners up would be Quentin Nelson would be in there. The other one that I would want to throw in there is Jalen Smith. Jalen's good. And, and the reason, because Jalen was a five-star, he, you know, Landon Jalen Smith was big. And then, you know, he comes to Notre Dame and, and he, he has the success he had. And I, and I think he's, you know, he's a guy that I think had an impact on the program as well. Those are guys that I would look at and say had probably the, the most important recruits. That's and fair. hopefully yeah. that answer changes here in the next couple of years. And we've got to go with somebody else. <laughs> sure. That would, that would make it, uh, that would make it very, very entertaining. Next question we got up here from, uh, let's see here from John A1. John says, what makes defensive line stunts effective? Are they more effective versus run or pass? Ryan, you're the defensive guy, so I'll let you answer this one. John, I mean, it, it, I mean, it could have effect in both areas, honestly. I think, the, I think the highlight plays you usually see are against the pass just because it's – the biggest thing for offensive linemen is such a unnatural and controlled position where, like, you're working through your process. And I think that defensive line stunts for me is – you're trying to speed up their process and you're trying to confuse offensive linemen, right? Cause there has to be a lot of communication with passing players off and then getting on, you know, you st- continuing to stay on your track and do all that type of stuff. And for me, defensive line stunts are, Oh man, this guy slanted this way. I got to w- react to him, but then here comes a guy off his butt. That should be my guy now. And you're causing confusion between players and offensive line is a position where you need to be, you need to be a collaborative effort. You need to be kind of, entwined in the guys that are next to you but defensive line stunts are kind of trying to break that process right like you're trying to create a lot of movement create a lot of confusion so it can affect both i i don't i don't think that there's one that i would necessarily it affects more i think that you would see it against pass a little bit where as far as like the impact because like a sack is going to be a bigger impact most of the time rather than like a one yard tackle for loss right so i think it's just kind of what we profile is like the bigger loss type of thing but it, it has its merits against each side it's it's literally just trying to confuse offensive linemen in their communication and i think as an offensive coach beyond that the confusion part is it can mess up your your eyes as an offensive player and it can mess up your body your leverage so one of the common mistakes guys use when handling lines twists and stunts is they turn their hips and so anytime you start turning your body and then you got to come back, it gets you off your base and it really allows you to just kind of get disruption. Like Ryan said, it, it's a confusion, but what does confusion do? It creates disruption. It creates a reset of the line of scrimmage in the defense's favor. It creates, it throws off the time. It can, if not picked up properly, it can throw off the timing of the run game, get the quarterback out of, out of sorts. The counter to that, Ryan, is if it doesn't hit, I may blow you up off the ball. And, and it, I would say the stunts don't kill you in the pass game any more than ne- not getting a pass rush does in a straight pass rush. If you don't hit a stunt or you don't time it right or it doesn't work against the run, I will gash you. That's that's the risk that you run. So they can be they can be effective birth versus both. They yeah. can create even bigger plays against the run in my view. Uh, but they can also give up bigger plays. So that's the risk yeah. reward and why teams can't do it all the time, in my opinion. Like you, you, you overdo it because you may catch me on some TFLs, but I'm going to catch you three or four times on these. We're just going to blow you up and just and house it. So is it really worth it for that couple three-yard losses? You know, you need to weigh that, you know, weigh that if you're going to bring that all day. And, and I'm thinking about like a de- an offensive line working against like a, a tackle end stunt. So usually, you know, the, the defensive tackle is slanting outside. 
it is great for offensive tackles when they can see it and react to it because then you just are riding some bigger guy outside and you know that he can't threaten the outside track on you. And you're just like, yep, that's an easy one for me. I love this type of thing. So yep. to your point, Brian, if you do not do it well or you are a little bit too if, – if you're a little bit too predictable with how you set up these, ta- these different types of stunts, then you could be in some trouble. There's no yep. doubt about it. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.